December 26, 2001. It's a Watt from Pedro show.
Watt from Pedro Show, December 26, 2001. Um, that was uh, Sonic Youth Lydia Lunch, my special guest. Come all the way to Pedro, Mr. Thurston Moore. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here in San now Pedro once again. You're talking huh? uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't been here since, God, three years ago maybe? Two, three years ago I came here, visited Mike. We went out, had some fish tacos. We're going to go after the show today, Went right? to the secondhand bookstore. It's closed. Yeah. I was supposed to be here last week, but I was uh, busy. Not last week. A couple well, of days I'm ago. Talking, I'm talking like a couple of days ago. I was supposed to be you on the show. You didn't know what day of the week it was. I was supposed to be on the show. I didn't know what the day of the week is. Christmas time. I thought Christmas was on a on a uh, Wednesday. on a Wednesday and yeah. it was Monday and I thought it was a Sunday and I was supposed to be here on a Monday and, and Mike called me up on the me. phone he said like where are you I'm at the station doing the show I said I'm in Simi Valley not the station but the Love Grotto <laughs> exactly the, the Love Grotto Pedro, right, it's like Mac? a station yeah, to me it's like a station it. of the cross here for me though <laughs> oh. this is a beautiful studio for me this is like this is San Pedro come to life. <laughs> All the comforts of home. Yeah, this is right. You don't see this anywhere else in America except for here in San what, Pedro. What can you tell me about that song? Death Valley 69? Yeah. That was written in, I guess, in 88, 87, 88, maybe earlier. When the, whenever that record came out. You, know, you it's had like Henry's ancient tattoo history. on the label. That's right. It's well, a Hen- shepherd thing, right? You know, Henry had joined Black Flag, and so he was. Henry was like sort of really getting into this kind of L.A. thing through like – Black Flag and Raymond's, uh, you know, work and stuff and this whole kind of world of underground L.A. of, you know, the the hippie culture that existed but the underbelly of the hippie culture that was kind of like this recent past that was like kind of this dark America that was like kind of interesting that was not being really sort of related in the, in the media because at the time, you have to understand, we had Reagan as president. And the whole thing was like, we're going to go back to the past, you know, the beauty of the past and the safety of the past. And we were going to try to bring up these ideals of the past. And we were like, well, you know, there was like, there's a whole world happening in the past that was going on where there's a lot of sort of very sort of insane insurgency going on in the youth culture that people don't really sort of aren't really talking about now. And you would see it, you'd see it in Raymond's work a lot. And you'd hear it a little bit in Flag. I know Henry was sort of investigating it. So Henry started... He was in the Nick Cave, too. He's getting huh? in the Nick Cave. He's also getting into sort of like Manson lore and stuff like that. And so I think that was I think at the same time, we were kind of getting interested and we started reading. Uh, we were trying to read sort of history that wasn't really being made available to us. And so we started picking up reading about things like the family and reading uh, these books on um, sort of uh, the hippie subculture and and. Uh, one thing we wanted to write about was this sort of like this this kind of um, this whole uh, the, the whole sort of Manson thing of, of of Death Valley and they were like sort of creating their own world outside. But it was like this insane world, obviously, with this kind of like little Hitler guy. But uh, we just we did we wanted, we wanted to write about it. we didn't want to write about it too literally. And I just sort of mentioned it to uh, Lydia Lunch, who I was sort of playing music with at the time, and she was getting really interested in what oh that album she was getting interested in what people like Black Flag. And, uh, we're doing and you gotta understand like at that time on the east coast nobody was really paying attention to what people like you know 
uh, Raymond and Black Flag and SST Records and even like people like Red Cross and people like Joe Carducci who was working there and espousing these kind of ideas. People on the East Coast weren't really aware of it so much. You know, the, the network of communication wasn't really there. The only thing we had was the fact that Flag would come through town, you know, <laughs> playing at the local donut shop or something, and then they would great great gilder sleeves, great gilder sleeves. So in a way, we felt really Brooklyn sort of Zoo. we were really inspired by Remember it. Remember that disco, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Zoo? Zoo, and Kim sort of came from out here. And sort of. Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know about these things. Anyway, to make a long story short. Because it is a long story, and I'm not really sort of elucidating on it very well, but we just wrote this song. And Lydia wrote, uh, I wrote the chorus, you know, and uh, Lydia wrote the, the verse. And, uh, and we had this riff that we were playing in the studio, because, you know, we were playing all this weird kind of experimental non-music because we were like non-musicians. We, we didn't know how to play really well. Actually, Lee knew how to play. Came out of the Bronco. Lee knew how to play. We play some theoretical Well, music. we knew how to play, but we didn't know how to play like technical, standard, you know, real uh, oh yeah, professional. And Lee knew the dead. Lee knew how to play stuff, but we, me and Kim and 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 this is Bob pre Shelley, pre Steve Shelley. So somehow on one of these guitars that was really tuned to all these F sharps, I started playing this one riff that was very sort of had a very rock vibe, and to us that was like a big deal because we, you know, we just stumbled upon sort of some rock riff, and we're like, whoa, hey, we're rocking in a way that's like almost real rock, and not this kind of weird sonic rock. And so we uh, we joked around with, with it, and so we made a song out of it, and it became the song that everybody kind of like re, you know really responded to. It's like oh yeah, they're playing this like heavy rock vibe, and so we never really took Death Valley '69 as seriously, but it did become kind of a cornerstone of that period for us in a way. That you put album. it on a record too, where it's it was, half I, it was five and half. It, the... it first came out on a seven inch, right? Mike Shepard. That Mike Shepard, who was this kid here i was sending thing. music around to different people and i had heard about iridescence which was mike shepherd's yeah. label because he had done some stuff with half japanese and uh i just sort of sent it to him and he called up immediately and said like oh yeah i'll put these two songs out that one and there's another song called brave men run that's right my family yeah which was the lyrics that kim wrote taken from a uh, ed ruchet painting of a sailor of a sail of a <clears throat> big sailing vessel on the ocean and is a painting of a sailing vessel on the ocean and a and on top of it were the words, Brave Men Run in My Family. It's a beautiful painting by Ed Ruscha, West Coast artist. And Kim really uh, loved this artist, and we had this poster, and she wrote these words inspired by this painting. It's on that record, too. I think it's, it's, it's on a Creedence song. Uh, <clears throat> it's a homestead thing. There's oh, a yeah, yeah. head guy on fire. That's Bad Moon Rising. Yeah, but there's no album. no Creedon song on there. Just no, like, we yeah, because we were all, the whole thing of that period was just like kind of like an investigation of kind of underground Americana and that a lot of it that was lost on the punk rock community because we had sort of shut the door so much on '77. You know, '76, '77 was just like burn the past, you know, yeah. create this new thing, and. I think it was in the 80s at the time that we started. It was kind of a radical gesture to actually investigate beyond and before 77. And, and certainly we saw SST doing that, like, you know, the whole oh, yeah. thing of, like, you know, of bringing in sort of earlier kind of heavy metal ideas. And But, you know, growing your hair was like a radical gesture <laughs> yeah, at that time. Beards. But because um, that was really hardcore at the time when, when Flag started doing that. Yeah. Like, sort of like because things were getting ossified it. and uh, kind of orthodox. Exactly. And, uh, with hardcore. Not saying hardcore was really bad and everything, but it did bring some problems. But even in the 70s, like in 77, 
I was talking to Ray Farrell about this. It's like people don't understand, like, one of the most intense things for him was walking in the CBGB in 76 and seeing television on stage and just being completely blown away by this group that had short hair. Because <laughs> there was probably not one group. John McLaughlin. Yeah, but that didn't count. I, I mean, like a, him, like, yeah, like yeah. a four-piece rock band on stage, you know, in urban, in middle, you know, middle yeah. New York with short hair and playing this weird music. It was very, very odd at the time. I remember getting the Marquee Moon record. It came out in 76. Right. I graduated high school. And the picture, there's guys sitting next to little Fender Ant. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. Never see, I had never seen anything like that. Yeah. And no effects on the guitars when you listen to the music. It was intense. It was good. Yeah. You it was know. A, but it was a mind blow. It was iconoclastic kind of because of all, you know, you, this was the era of Pete Frampton in right. a, a bathrobe. It was Pete Frampton in the bathroom. You can yeah. never get your hair to look like that. You could never get your hair looking good. You know, we're all like ugly, dorky jerkos. And so to see like these like people like Hell who look like you in a way, you know, but it was like looking good because he was like, you know, torn up and, and he then was singing. He, look at the way he sang and stuff. Yeah. It's true. It was excellent. It was a mind blow. For now me. even Patty, who's this sort of like this kind of untrained kind of like thing, and it was like coming across all black and white, and he's like not, you know, not subscribing. To I this stumbled kind of onto her weird because she was with Alan Lanier, who played guitar. Yeah, it was a Blue Oyster Cult. There was all this little sort of transitional <laughs> stuff. Blue Oyster Cult. I saw Cult. the record Horses. Yeah. And then and then I saw that Piss Factory and it said Tom Verlaine and it was weird how these were connected. Little connectos. I mean, living in Pedro and just Arena Rock, I, I didn't know any of that culture. Yeah. Now you you were in New York City yet or still in Connecticut? I moved there and I moved there early '77 as an 18 year old. I had been going there. I had gone there in '76. I started taking my father's Volkswagen because I I had a friend one friend in high school who knew about Cream Magazine and we used to sort of like. That's what Look at it, and people used to make fun of us because there's pictures of like Todd Rundgren in there, and they're like, "Oh, you know that guy's that guy's that guy's gay, and <laughs> Bowie's gay, and they, who's this Iggy guy? He must be gay." Roxy. And so it was all this gay. You know, we we're just like, "Well, you know, I guess we like all this gay music," <laughs> you know. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, "Well, what the hell?" You know, and it's like, and then we knew that it was nearby. We knew it was in New York City somehow. We knew the Ramones were there. We kept seeing little, little pictures of them. They were out, and then when their record came out, it was just like that thing looked great. You know, those guys looked amazing. But we knew and nobody else liked it. They were still in the almonds and yes. And <laughs> and so I think one day after school, we just sort of like said, hey, let's let's just go to New York and go see one of these bands. And we were, you know, we were teenagers. We were like 17, 16, 17. We just went. No itinerary. just went. <laughs> cruised around. We had an address for Max's and we found it and we parked. And we were there like about six in the evening. You know, nothing gets started until midnight. Yeah. <laughs> we were just drinking Cokes, smoking cigarettes. Finally, we went upstairs, and it was like an amazing show. It was like Suicide. Oh, Can you imagine wow. seeing Suicide when you yeah. don't know what you're expecting? I thought it was going to be a heavy metal rock. rock. I thought it was going to be some metal rock. You're like, Suicide. <laughs> they like, came out. Alan, Did he attack the crowd? Alan Vega attacked the crowd, came walking out on the tables, breaking people's glasses and cutting himself, and then like wrapping his mic cord around like, women's uh, heads and screaming at him and like and then he would yell at the audience like get out 
leave. <laughs> I never knew anything. Like, you're not supposed to say that to the audience. Tell them to leave. They were psychotic and super loud, just like pummeling. With <laughs> one guy. Uh, yeah, Rev. Martin Rev. He just the stood keyboard. there with like in front of this little keyboard set up with big bug eye shades, just staring at the audience, he, just moving his fingers. And Vega would be had old ladies wig on, like little fake scars on his face, but we thought they were real. Like, like he'd be on his knees singing like uh, Cherie Cherie, yeah. actually crying with tears coming down his face because wow. he was like so into it. There's some heavy it theater. songs. It was all theater, but we were like freak. We were Frankie scared. Teardrop. Yeah. Very heavy song. That they did that whole first record in front of us, and we were just, and they were like last band on. Before them was was the Cramps. Oh, and it was like and it was like and it was like it was the first cramps gig at Max's, and everybody like made fun of them. They came out and it's like we're the cramps. And they had Miriam Lena playing drums. Rub. She sort of hit the rims more than the skins kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, people just are laughing at them like, "Hey, drum solo," <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. Like nobody responded to them except for they were kind of funny, but they were like. Total, yeah, weird garage rockabilly thing. Yeah. And the best thing about it is, like, when they ended... Brian Gregory. Brian Gregory, like, spitting cigarettes out at the audience <laughs> while he's playing. They were great, man. And then, like, uh, at the end, the coolest thing was Miriam Lena got up, got her drumsticks, and put them in her pocketbook, and then walked <laughs> off stage. I had never seen that before. I had never seen bands before. I had seen a couple of arena rock gigs, like, like Zappa and Frampton and Jay Giles. I had never seen nothing like that. I was sold. So we went back every week. Every week we went there, man. We saw everything. The journey. Sort of like it was good. Anyway, I remember Lydia Lunch when she was just a kid, hanging out at the same clubs. She was a dark, dark She had teenage Jesus. Well, that's, that was later. That was like 70. I moved there in 77, started playing with some band. And then, uh, and then there was like this whole internalized scene of people like my age who had moved there. Like most people from art school. Unless people like me who just came out of like you know the burbs or the, some rural area, but these were people who came there for some kind of motivation because they were coming out of our school and they wanted to go to New York because that's where artists work. But they were drawn by the energy of the punk rock scene. Yeah. And then the punk rock scene, Talking Heads, Patty, Television—they were kind of dispersing a little bit and going off. Patty, you know, was getting married and moving to Detroit. You know, Television was floundering. Uh, major label woes for these bands and so all these like new young bands started like you know they were just like well we're not even interested in what these bands you know they were calling these original bands hippies in a way because well, they like were adrenaline od no oh, that was hardcore yeah. i'm talking about like teenage jesus and the jerks oh, oh, the, oh, contortion, the no wave bands yeah. i got that record no yes, new york uh, no new york we made one in response, Yes, L.A. Yes, L.A. But that was like rock, the punk rock bands. These were bands that just stripped any kind of sense of rhythm and blues out of the music. These were real people. Except who were, James Chance. He had some rhythm and blues. Yeah, he was really into like James Brown. Yeah. But, he played in, uh, at the, mass, the second mask and attacked people. But these were a lot of people who were coming out of like visual arts wanting to sort of like really make a whole mesh of like what they were doing into music and just creating this whole form and it was everywhere that's how it was in sf too i mean it was all sort of visual artists doing this thing and you know la it was a lot of art school kind of like uh, people and i know the weirdos were and the that's streamers. what we're gonna play some in a way that's what the punk rock thing was a lot of art people at first yeah and then that rock and roll of johnny thunder so when hardcore started up and it was yeah. funny in the 80s all the Chrome you know, we'd be playing, and it would be always things like we were an artsy band. 
And so the hardcore kids were like, oh, artsy band. And I was like, yeah, but that's sort of, that was punk rock, you know. But then it wasn't anymore. It was like this purist kind of thing. Yeah. So we were all embarrassed with all our guitars and screwdrivers and drumsticks <laughs> and experimental stuff. But then, you know, it changed. It came back. It's like the more, I think the more creative and kind of experimental you are now, the more it's a hip cachet to it. And that didn't exist so much in the 80s so much. It was always looked upon as an anomaly or something. You know, buttholes yeah. and... Sure. You know, we were kind of this weird thing, but now it's not like that. It sort of came full circle. Yeah. So you have all these young people now who are really into, like, finding out about experimental music, even if it's through, like, DJ culture. Right. You know, you're going to play some noise later, and that's, what, early 70s? That's early 70s. I mean, that was, like... So if you hang there's out a lot, long enough, there's a lot it's going to come back around. Punk. That's the lesson, right? <laughs> Just hang out long. We started with John Coltrane. Welcome. Uh... What about John Coltrane and that stuff when you were a kid? I didn't really listen to any American jazz music as a kid. I wasn't aware of it. It wasn't really in my household. My father was more sort of classical music-centric, and so I didn't know about jazz. I just sort of knew it existed. I knew that when I got into television, bands like that, I knew that they sort of referenced Albert Eiler. Um and I knew, even like you mentioned James Chance, I knew that he referenced Albert Eiler, and he would reference even things like Ornette Coleman or, or, or John Coltrane. And I knew about Sun Ra, and I knew these were people who were very sort of avant-garde musicians, but I didn't really know what their history was in the lineage of jazz. And it wasn't until I knew that it was being referenced a lot by a lot of West Coast punk rock scenes specifically the ones you were in like the Minutemen and flag and sst thing there was a certain sort of uh there was a certain reference to sort of avant-garde jazz going on there so uh, early mid 80s i got really sort of curious about it i knew kim grew up in a household where her father played john coltrane records when i would play that stuff out of interest it would it would really confound me because these were sort of expanded pieces of music and I had not had that kind of language in my life where it was like the expanded pieces of music. It was all very sort of like the song, the, yeah. the song composition. I never heard uh, that stuff as a kid either. Yeah. Maybe housing. So I had Byron Coley, who um, I guess he used to work with you guys at yeah. SST a little bit. Yeah. And he had a complete aficionado's uh, vantage point of, of, of avant-garde jazz. And we were going so out on... grew up with it. Yeah, and we were going out on tour in 87 or so some six, six month tour <laughs> that chuck Dukowski Evil set up and, uh, and so i said i asked him to make me some tapes and he made me like like 20 tapes of of this music oh, historically wow. i mean it was like mingus was on there and i crashed corston the whole way and i just like listened to it all and it finally sort of became something i really got interested in. and then i started reading literature about it which really opened it up for me because it gave me a sense of history sense of geography context. and uh, context and specifically living in New York the way I had finding out that there was like this this incredible culture of avant-garde jazz music which led me into into like avant-garde uh, composer music and this like the world of avant-garde uh, New York City and then like its relationship to Europe the West Coast San Francisco and that really the late 80s into the 90s just opened up this whole world of like whole new vistas for me as far as like music was concerned that I really, really, really related to that I just was like only sort of aware of beforehand because I had been playing with people like Glenn Branca who were coming out of this yeah. lineage but I wasn't really 
seeing that I wasn't really aware of that lineage. I was just taking it. I was taking it for granted that there was like this kind of this kind of music existed, but I didn't realize its historical context or you know its value. And uh, so that yeah, I just became completely completely uh, immersed in, in investigating jazz music. Your pop wrote. My uh, classical, sort of, yeah, traditional, more sort of traditional modern classical. Not even modern classical, just like, you know, coming out of Bach kind of music. Um, but you think he influenced you? Uh, the fact that his he was devoted to musical life, yeah. yeah. I mean, I used to close my ears to anything classical because, you know, I was oh, like, you, you know, please change. Yeah, you'd be playing the radio, and I was like, come on, you know, put on the guess who, you know. <laughs> well, we're going to play something by your brother here. Yeah. I'm only putting out CDs. This is my label, Ecstatic Peace, that I've been doing. It's a bedroom label, vanity thing I do, uh, non-competitive, and uh, which means I don't really spend money on, on promoting it so much. But I do come to certain radio stations once in a while. <laughs> I, right now, I, I've been putting out stuff for years. I got like There's over 100 Ecstatic Peace releases out there, I guess. If you can find yeah, there's them. a dose one. There's a dose one. But there's a minute... Man one without George Hurley before George yeah, Hurley. Yeah, there's going to be a Mike Watt trio one if he ever gets off his yeah. ass and does it. Yeah, that's right. He wants me to do double ride, seven ride inch. girl stuff. I want to do double seven inch, two seven inches. Television and television. Slater Kinney and then Slater Kinney bikini kill one. Well, anyway. tell us about Gene. This well, is right your now older brother the Gene focus Moore. of the label right now is just putting out uh, CDs and rec- CDs by uh, and records by like my relatives, like my brother and his kids. Because they're all like these kind of like weird basement geniuses doing noise music now, like coming out of a void in a way. Wow. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Like my stuff is like my stuff is like uh, Oingo Boingo compared to what my brother <laughs> and his kids are doing. I, and uh, it's, yeah. What about Coco? You think Although this track you're going Coco. You think she's going to develop into a thing? I don't know what she's going to do. She's I, seven she, now. Right? She seems she likes you know she likes music. I she plays Lincoln. piano. It's kind of oh, weird she's because piano? she's playing piano, you know. But she's like, you know, likes these old little boy pop bands that she hears <laughs> once in a while. But oh. she's sort of hip to the other things, you know. I was playing that last Coltrane gig CD in the car the other night, and she said somebody's playing a saxophone. I said, "You better believe somebody's playing." <laughs> <that."> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, that kind of thing. Tell me, we're going to play this song, "Flowers." Well, this song is kind of uh, acoustic guitar piece, which is kind of mellow. It's not that indicative of, of the noise music that's on this CD. So maybe later we can play another one. But did he play noise back when? My brother was is a really proficient guitar player. Uh-huh. Did he I, influence you? Well, in a, in, the, in the sense that I used to sort of open up his guitar case and play his guitar while he was away, and then I'd break a string and then I'd put it back, and he'd come back and he would kick my ass for breaking a string. So <laughs> did he have started, a good one. Then he started putting chains on it. And so I would get pincers out. Yeah. I get pincers out. I'd, I'd spend about an hour undoing one of the chain links, and then I would take the guitar out, play it, break a string, put it back, and then I would like spend another hour getting that chain link back on. You have a nice guitar. And he'd come back. He'd unlock the thing. I was like, "How the fuck did this string break?" I was like, All right, "You got chained. I didn't get in there." He couldn't figure it out. Every time he opened up, the string would be. Because I know you guys played uh, pawn shop things at first. Did he have one like that? No, he had like nice Stratocast. Oh, but when I first moved to New York, he actually bought me like a a, a hot Stratocaster. This fell off the back of a truck or something. That somebody told him about. Oh like wow! A couple hundred bucks, and then he like he uh, gave it to me. It was really cool of him. And I used to play it, but then somebody broke into my apartment and stole it. Donate. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so then, this is flowers. This is a yeah. nice acoustic thing. Okay. Gene Moore, Watt from Pedro Show. I'm not going to play this track because this is a weird track where he's playing the guitar through like this this thing. I don't know what it is, and it sounds like Sun Ra's keyboard. Kind of cool to listen to, but I don't think it's something that maybe we should play right now. Let's play the first track off of here, which is more of one of the noisier. Is that Flowers? No. The first one's called uh, Pollock's Dream. Pollock's Dream. Yeah. After the Jackson, painter. Jackson, after the painter. Okay. What for Peter? Preeminent action painter.
Watt from Pedro Show. That's right. Uh, Thirst, tell us about that track we uh, just heard there. Well, let me tell you. Um, that track you heard right there is a... Uh, Three. Let me catch my breath, man. How's Pedro looking out there? All right. <laughs> Ride your bike more, dude. No, no, no. I had. I just went. I just went out in the back and California air again. Went to the store. I had to beat off because I. <laughs> I read this interview with Richard Melter. He said like anybody who doesn't beat off at least eight times a day is not a man. So yeah, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. Keep up with that philosophy of that <laughs> towards life. Um. That was a piece by um. Uh, a friend of mine, named Barbara S. Uh, somebody I've known since the 70s from New York. She was a filmmaker, experimental filmmaker, who came to New York after doing some work in London. Uh, she's an American girl. Came to New York in the 70s and started getting involved with doing music, as a lot of artists were doing, as we were talking about earlier, visual artist. And she started playing. She got involved with this guy, Glenn Branca, who came out of theater and sort of uh, employing a lot of his ideas and concepts into musical ideas. And he started getting into sort of these extended uh, composed guitar pieces with mass guitars and, 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 uh, and, and uh, unorthodox tunings. And tunings that were sort of these new system tunings that created these kind of resultant harmonic overtones that was a whole extra and other musical... A world unto itself, and he was really into investigating this. And she was involved with him uh, doing this as well. And then she also did her own musical projects, and called uh, she did something called Y Pants, which was her and these three other these two other women playing um, specifically toy instruments, toy pianos, and toy ukuleles, and um, a toy drum kit, and making sort of experimental rock songs with toy instruments called and they were called Y Pants and they were kind of cool. And she played with uh and she also was published a uh, a magazine of artist writings called Just Another Asshole. And she actually did a compilation <laughs> LP called Just Another Asshole, which is one of the first places I think the probably the first place that I ever have a recorded piece of music on is on that compilation LP she did called Just Another Asshole. Oh you cherry track. <clears throat> My dog was on that track. <laughs> Um, anyway, yeah, my cherry track, <laughs> MCT, and, uh, she was, and, and so she was really involved with that whole world of downtown, uh, New York, no wave scene, and she was a recognized figure on it. She was always a very sort of benign figure, as opposed to a lot of the nihilistic, uh, kind of attitude a lot of these people sort of expressed. You were telling me she channeled? No, no, that's somebody else. Oh, the next tr- yeah. person. That's uh, Margaret. Right? Margaret DeWise. Okay. Uh, anyway, so she was involved with that. And, and, and Barbara, after her uh, musical band life sort of became um, uh, became a little more secondary to her life as a visual uh, artist, and she really got involved with this kind of um, impressionistic uh, photography. Um, and she's become quite known in the art world as uh, a recognized gallery artist, museum artist at this point. And, uh, and I've always remained in contact with her, and she's also created this thing called Drum Corps, which sort of uh, 
is a kind of communication with all these women playing music uh, below, beneath the radar of the mainstream. Um, and they all sort of play drums together. And uh, so she's always had this sort of interesting kind of pro-feminist uh, um, agenda, uh, which I always uh, found, uh, well, interesting. And she um, recently uh, sent me this CD of music she did, because I haven't heard any music from her in so many years, and I was really curious to hear it. And it was she got together with this uh, feminist filmmaker, Peggy Awesh, and they called it Radio Guitar. And basically, it's Peggy playing uh, radio, shortwave radio, um, which, which it seems like, and, and Barbara playing electric guitar. And it's really interesting because it's almost like Barbara's guitar sounds more like a shortwave radio, and that shortwave radio sounds more like this electric guitar sound. And they uh, created this, really, this, this great piece called Radio Guitar that's split up into nine tracks. We heard the third track of that. Um, and I just released this, and uh, yeah. Is there a Static Peace website? This is Ecstatic Peace. There is not a real Ecstatic Peace website. I mean, there's a there's a Sonic Youth website up now called SonicYouth.com that is sort of cooking, and you can go into Steve Shelley's link, which is SmellsLikeRecords.com. Right. I think it's SmellsLikeRecords.com, or it maybe just SmellsLike.com. Not quite sure. But there's a link from you. There's a link there in, in the Sonic Youth site, and. Um, Steve has the Ecstatic Peace link in there, but it's not. It's pretty much related to Ecstatic Peace releases that Steve somewhat distributes. He didn't distribute this one. Um, I'm becoming more sort of independent releasing this stuff. I always sort of relied for a while. I was relying on Steve to sort of help me manufacture and distribute through his label. Before that, I was using Forced Exposure, which, which is Jimmy Johnson in in, yeah, in, in, in Massachusetts, um, and. Using different people as well. I mean, I have a fellow up in Vancouver who's Wasn't been... Byron involved? Byron Coley was involved with Forced Exposure when it was a magazine. Oh, yeah, okay. And Great magazine, too. It was a very very influential magazine about expanding the, the uh, parameters of, of radical music to the so-called punk rock community. It would, yeah. you know, opening up a lot of people's eyes and ears to, yeah, to different different musics that were all relative to, you know, that were, again, below the radar of the mainstream. And that was one of the, to me, the most exciting things in the last 10 or 15 years is this new generation recognizing, especially through the, the uh, especially through the library of the Internet, of us all communicating like that, of realizing that there was this wealth of a musical and artistic world that broke down all these barriers. Uh, we had punk rock, etc. So now you have you know punk rockers going to Derek Bailey gigs. That's kind of fantastic. Um, I'm sorry, I'm out of breath. I ran across the street. No, to, it's okay. To beat off in the bathroom in the four, four times a day. Much respect, to brother Matt's pad for using the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Better than the kitchen sink. Oh yeah, come on. Yeah, we'll, we get special room set up. I'm, a chamber. I <laughs> love Grotto Central. <laughs> what is the Love Grotto? When you told me it was the Love Grotto, I was I got you know I got in my Volkswagen and whipped down here as soon as I could. <laughs> okay, and we had of course your brother Gene hmm. before that with uh, Pollock Stream. That's the thing with uh, what's my, his record called? Twisted Wires. Twisted, twisting, twisted wires. Twisting wires. Twisting wires. Static pieces. Is this his first record? 
Sure is. I've been begging. I, cherry my, rag- I mean, I would go to my brother. My brother's like a you know married man with two children in like you know the suburbs of Connecticut. And I would go there, and he's like always played guitar. And I would go in his basement, and he would be doing these like completely amazing sort of noise music pieces. And I'm like, you know, there's these there's people out there who are who are doing this and putting records out, and this sounds to me better than you know maybe I'm biased because they're my brother, but in a way this is more interesting because there's a certain purity here. You're not being you're coming out of a void. It's not like you're sort of, you know. Insular. Yeah. And so I really wanted to have him compile a bunch of these pieces together, and he did. It took him a while. I wanted to leave him at his own device. I didn't want to sort of force the situation. I said, you do your own cover. You put it together the way you want it. No wine before it's time. Exactly. <laughs> and so this is what he, he did. He's going to do another one. He's really excited about doing another one. Um, he's, he's in his late 40s. Uh, you know, and he's like probably always had this fantasy of living sort of a purely musical life and he saw his little brother go do that you know after high school i said that's what i chose to do and i did it and but he didn't go that route he sort of like he worked a nine-to-five job and he he got married and had a, a wife and a kid and kids and but i always think he had this thing like oh, i wish i sort of did that but at the same time he's a realist he knows that like well that's just sort of you know what it could have you know whatever it's like he's what it like, you know, we're all sort of What's your mom think? But I'm giving him I, I, for Is me. Your mom like the way. He, oh yeah, my mom's totally supportive of us doing this stuff. I mean, the fact that I do that that, that we got together because we used to fight when we were kids. We were just sort of like sibling. You know, we, we would throw like screwdrivers at each other. Thrill, huh? Yeah, we would kick each other. <laughs> he would kick my ass, and but now we're like best friends, so it's like this great thing. And so I'm in the position now where I can actually give him a forum to do this. And to me, it's like I'm more happy doing this than just about anything. You know, giving my brother place to record like yeah. experimental music forget yeah, it cool. i'd rather do that than like it's it's, it's to me that's the k-rock weenie roast k-rock weenie roast <laughs> it blows k-rock weenie roast out the <laughs> toilet dude <laughs> you know okay we're going i did one of those out. k-rock weenie roasts. i tell you they, they threw us off the stage they, well, they didn't. We threw ourselves off the stage. You know, they had a little revolving stage. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've done. And I, and I told the guy who was doing the revolving stage. I said, "Look, I don't want to. We're going to play this song, but we're not going to end." He goes, "Well, no. You you have two minutes and thirty seconds." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, well, this song is ten minutes long. We were doing the Diamond Sea or something like that." Oh wow! I said, "This song is ten minutes. We we're not stopping." I said, "This is what you do when we start. The song's going to really the the meat of the song will end after a couple of minutes, and then we're going to go into this improvisatory noise music that we play. So let us do that, and then sort of wheel us off while we're doing it. So we play the song, and we come out, and the audience is like, "Yeah." As soon as they start hearing us play, they're just like, "You know, this what's this? You know, this ain't no doubt, you know." <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, Bush, yeah, ain't Bush, you know. And so we're doing this thing. And then we go into the noise section, and we're just like wailing. We're just like you know hitting the guitars, and we're like, and you see these little kids, little K Rock kids in the audience, just looking like, you know, what the hell? And then they start rotating us off. And I read the L.A. Times the next day, and Sonic Youth was like, was got the hook, got the hook. <laughs> we gave ourselves the. We told them yeah. to give us the hook, so we look yeah. bad no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna K-Rock. play something from a lady named Margaret DeWeiss here. Can you tell Margaret us DeWeiss is. Um, 
along with Barbara S., Margaret DeWeiss in the 70s was part of the no-wave community, and she was a woman who was really interesting. She was part of this group called Theoretical Girls, along with Glenn Branca. Yeah, we're going to play that 45. Okay, and this other composer, Jeffrey Lone, and this drummer, Wharton Tears. Uh, Wharton? We, yeah, who we remained in contact with for the years. We recorded a lot of our music at his He's studio. He's got a band now. Yeah, Wharton's still very active. He also, has a, he also is married with with child. Right. Anyway, um... Margaret was a really interesting uh, part of that group, and um, she was part of Glenn Branca's larger ensemble. And when I used to tour with that ensemble through Europe, the first time I went to Europe was with that group. And Margaret was one of the women in that group, and she was this interesting uh, sort of academic uh, woman. And um, and so <laughs> this, and then we <laughs> oh yeah yeah is this yours? Look how big that sleeve is. I'll give you $100 for that right now. Um, <laughs> so what about this? Uh, I'll give you 100 bucks, right? I'll give you 100 bucks for that Hun 7-inch. Yeah, somebody was telling me that, uh, yeah, you'll, you get an eBay. Yeah. And you'll you'll put up big money for records. Who, me? Yeah. Who's telling you that? I never, I never go on the eBay. Somebody was doing a spiel with me. I never go on the eBay. Jim O'Rourke, a guy who plays with us. He, oh, he's, he's, an e, he's an eBay warrior. I don't, I don't have time to go on eBay and start doing that stuff. Okay. You kidding me? Okay. eBay? Yeah, somebody was saying this just a couple days ago. Yeah, it's pro, you know, people know that I'm sort of record collector. Urban dude. legend? Yeah. <laughs> you know what the I sold all record? my records. I gave all my money to... Yeah, I was telling people that about the... Because I was there with you, with Byron, at that thing in, in New York City where they had yeah, all the yeah, tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were selling your Sunrise, Saturn Sunrise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, so I've got, I, I don't, you know. Anyway, uh, Margaret DeWeiss came, sent me the CD after not hearing about her from 10, 12 years. And it was this music that she was making with her mouth. And what she does is she goes down to Ecuador and goes into the rainforest and spends time with these shamans and learns this whole thing of communicating with the other worlds through vocal chanting and channeling this, this vibrations so she comes back to USA and she does this thing I know she did this thing once at one club where she gets in a sleeping bag and lies on stage with a mic over her, like Lemmy style and starts channeling these sounds from this Ecuadorian uh, uh, shaman practice <clears throat> so she made a CD of this stuff and she sent it to me and it was like one of the most unnerving kind of weirdo things I had ever heard and I said this is perfect for my label, you know. <laughs> That's the kind of thing I'll put on and people just look at me and go like, dude, you got to take that off. <laughs> well, so, you know what? There's, we're running out of time on the first hour here. So Mark from Pedro show. We're going to have to come back and we'll come back with Margaret's uh, okay. piece. It's one big piece. Right? You're going to play the whole thing? No, we're going to play an excerpt. <laughs> then we'll play Mr. Bronca's Theoretical Girls. Uh, so people... Um, people get ready. Curse Mayfield? I got a Kirkdom seminage right there. There you go. A little serendipity. Yeah, isn't that trippy? (laughs) Synchronicity. So people hang on. Uh, End of the first hour. Watt from Pedro show. We'll be coming up at the top of the second hour with... uh, More New Wave. Yeah. Margaret DeWeiss and some theoretical girls. Is this secretary spread? Whoa, bro. (laughs) It's a Watt from Pedro show. December 26, 2001, the second hour. Now, what were you asking me? 
I was asking if this Huns single that you had was Secretary Spread, but it's another one. It's Glad He's Dead. Yeah, and Busy Kids. <laughs> That's some old Austin punk. It's the yeah. first one. Hold on to this. You, yeah. should, you should sleeve it, dude. What's that mean? It's getting chewed. Your, oh. your sleeve is getting you know, my, chewed. The favorite record I ever saw in your collection was something you got from Germany, a 45. And they had put it in the sleeve before it had cooled off. So oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You couldn't even play it. You couldn't play it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's some Margaret DeWeiss with I.O. Watt from Pedro Show.
This is a burning planet. So intolerable I and I sniffs and says, yeah. When it happens, it happens fast. This is a rush job. You can feel it there under your feet, the whole structure buckling like a bulkhead about to blow. So the paper has a car there for us, and we are driving in from the airport, the kid at the wheel and his foot on the floor. Nellie ran down a herd of pedestrians, and they yell after us, What you want to do, kill somebody? And the kid sticks his head out and screams, It would be a pleasure. His eyes lit up like a blowtorch, and I can see he's really in form. So we start right to work making our headquarters in the land of the free where the call came from, and which is really free and wide open for any life form. The uglier, the better. <clears throat> well, they don't come any uglier than the intolerable kid and your reporter. He's a great guy, the kid, or at least he's big. But Jesus Christ, I hate him. Everyone does, that being his profession. When a planet is all primed to go up, they call in I and I to jump around from one fact to the other, agitating and insulting all the parties before and after the fact. You have to move fast on this job. from Pedro show. Yeah, here with William S. Burroughs. <laughs> yeah, that was William S. Burroughs from uh, Talk Her- Talk Magazine Flexi Disc. I got a little ring in my vocal cord. Ring. Yeah, that thing. was on the Nova Lark. Something he did for. Uh, in the old days, they used to have uh, records and magazines. Flexi Disc. Yeah, it'd be a piece of vinyl. Sometimes you'd have to put a nickel. <laughs> Cord. There was one uh, manufacturer in Florida. They used to do Evatone. That was called. They were called Evatone. And they did them. They did them. They were the one people, the one, the one people in the United <laughs> States who used to do those. I guess they must. That place must still exist. I don't know if people do flexi discs anymore. You know, not too many households have uh, turntables, so it's not really a big. It's lost. Thing. It's kind of a lost thing. Before that, we had theoretical girls with "You Got Me." You Tell got me, me something about that. We uh, Sonic Youth actually did a cover of that. It's one of the few unreleased tracks of ours that nobody's ever heard. Oh, you got to flow it. I got to flow it to you because this would be a good place to play it on. There's also you wanted me to download something, but I didn't have. There's a time. track on our site. There's a there's a Sonic Youth track on our site that's sort of um, kind of a no wave stomper. And it's from the uh, the it's stuff so, to be right. Well, the stuff to be that we're recording now. Yeah, That's going to be classic rock. Yeah, it's classic rock, like you know, khakis, classic, that kind of thing. No, it's detective. We, yeah, <laughs> no, we got some sheriff. We got some new tunes that we're recording down at our studio down there, on Murray Street, and uh, amidst the ruins of uh, Ground Zero. If you go to our site, there's a song that's not going to be on that album though. It's a short little kind of crazy song that uh, it's on uh, SonicYouth.com. You can find it in there somewhere. But you're making a new record. We're making a new record, yes. We're tracking right now. And it's going to be out when? No, hopefully spring? it'll come out in springtime. What, you got a name? Um, we're thinking of calling it Murray Street. Yeah, for the studio. That's our... That's our the uh, studio was uh, abbreviated. Studio's okay. We were, gonna, we were supposed to start recording the weekend of the 11th of September. 
course, it kind of got delayed a little bit. But yeah, our studio uh, is about three or four blocks north of uh, World Trade Center. Jim O'Rourke was cocking there. Remember Jim O'Rourke? Guy's been playing with us for the last year. Who's he's actually uh, helped write this material, which has been really radical. Power book. Never had anybody. No, no, no. He's not doing power book. Okay. Playing bass, playing a little guitar. Yeah. Um, so that's been really nice. He's been sort of adding his flavor to our flavor, and it's been this unified thing that we've really been digging. And uh, yeah, we're working on it. We're laying, we got we got all the songs written. We have like a good sort of seven or eight big jam songs that we're What's into. What's the label called now? It's not Geffen, right? Well, we're still signed to Geffen, and Geffen is sort of uh, part of the whole... Um, Vivendi? Yeah, actually, Vivendi. Um, you know, it's there. I, You know, I got a feeling it, 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 it's kind of a drag for us because we were really hoping that we would be axed along with everybody so else at the time, and we didn't. You know, they kept us, and they had this whole thing because we we're some kind of prestigious thing yeah, yeah. for them. But you know, we don't. Some badge. We buff. don't. We don't spend their money. You know, we don't lose money for them. We don't make money for them. You know, we make a little coin for ourselves from from working. Toy. But for uh, being on that label, we're not. I mean, that label is pretty much overseen by you know the, these guys who are really into this kind of current rap reggae, uh, hip hop trend, or whatever yeah. hard rock. Biscuit stuff, and uh, so we're just this thing. You know, we'll put a record out, and they'll throw it. They'll they'll throw it against the wall and watch it slip Is down. Is this the last one, maybe? I don't know. You know, I would like to sort of put it out ourselves because I think we could do. You did some. The we SYR, do a rec- They right? let us do records ourselves on our own label, Syr or Sonic Youth. Do you remember you, you were being uh, pretty prolific? You had three. Yeah, three we got some more stuff coming out. Okay, it's been a busy year. They all had different language. Yeah, on the covers. Yeah. What was but, the concept um, behind? Well, there was this. Uh, this the, the concept was there was a series of um, records on French EMI that were sort of called Perspective Musicale, uh, which is musical perspectives, obviously, and uh, it was a series of avant-garde composer records. And when we were doing this uh, uh, this record last year called um, Goodbye Twentieth Century, which is our sort of tribute to 20th century uh, composer music with Willie Winant, who's going to talk to you pretty soon, and Jim O'Rourke, and uh, some of these composers, uh, such as um, Christian Wolf and Pauline Oliveros, and we did pieces by John Cage, and etc. What about that guy you took me to see, James Tenney? James Tenney, we actually do a piece of James Tenney's. Willie Winant, who's going to yeah, talk to you, uh, is actually a very close friend and confidant of James Tenney's. Saw um, Little Tokyo. That was a trippy piece. Yeah, that was a great piece. I mean, they, they're using traditional instruments, but they were wow. tuned all weird, and they're playing them small yep. uh, intervals. You know, Critical Band or something. It was a world premiere. It was a world premiere. I don't know if it was Critical Band. It might have been Critical Band. It was a few years back. Wow. I don't recall who the uh, ensemble was. But it was um, the Ear Unit or something like that. It might have been Ear Unit. But anyway, we we where was I? Oh yeah, we serve. Um, those records were the design was there was these French EMI uh, series of avant-garde classical records from like the early 70s 6970 that all had that same kind of cover with different kind of uh, graphic on the front so we copied that and we were doing this series of records and instead of just doing it French every the first one was French which everybody thought like you know that's pretty pretentious. And we said, well, wait till you see the next one. It was like, it was French. And then it was like, we, went, we did Esperanto. <laughs> I think we want to do one in Braille next. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be hip. <laughs> Kim's with, Kim did a record with a quartet that she has of improvisers, uh, Ikoi Mori, 
from uh, who was in DNA. DNA, I got a DNA record with yeah. play. Um, a little later, DJ uh, Olive and, and Jim O'Rourke, and they put one out. Oh, right, the thing Kim does. Yeah, and that was trio. that came out, and that was Japanese language on the front. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to sort of, um, I'd like this record to come out and, and uh, be all that it can be. But you know, you are sort of at the mercy of, of ignorance. You know, when it comes to, uh, right now, I mean, the contemporary situation with with uh, merged labels, it's not really conducive to a band like us. So we're, but you know, we sort of were in there for the long run, and we knew that there was going to maybe be some weird changes in the industry as time went by, and there certainly is. And it doesn't really, it doesn't really. The way the industry now, it, it, it's just not really geared for... But basically, like you're this. doing the same thing. You're delivering finished master delivering tapes. Delivering finished master right. tapes. They're no there. suits in the studio. But, you know, their whole... The, the job on their end is to sort of campaign it and to sell right, it. Right. But there, it's yeah. like the way Let the industry now is like... It's like, well, you know, if the, if the weenie roast MTV kid isn't responding to it, we're not interested. And that's pretty much what you're at the mercy of. Yeah. Whereas before, if you work it yourself, which we could do, and which we're willing to do, but we're, we don't really have the... Uh, we don't have the ability to do it because we're we're. Uh, I get a phone call. Hello. 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 Excuse me. Yes. 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 Who's this? This is Who is it? I'm calling from his house in Northampton. Yes. I. This is Thurston. Hi, how are you? The alarm? Did you say the alarm went on? The alarm just went on? The alarm in the house? Oh. It's a babysitter or something? Caretaker? Somebody West Hampton, Northampton or something. North Ham- yeah, that's where Thurston lives. The, the Smith... College house. I'm sorry. No, that's that's cool. I got an emergency situation here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm live on the air. I got an emergency here. Hold on. This is real life. Margaret Dewise and I O. I guess it's a good time to talk to Willie then. Might Maybe Willie want to come up. I'm gonna. We're gonna yeah, present okay. Willie Winant here. Yeah, introduce him first. Willie Winant. Um, hold on. I, I, let me make this. Oh, I'm sorry, Willie. Why don't you just come up and introduce yourself? Okay. No, you can talk. Right I can cock here. Oh, yeah. uh, alarm Willie Winant. Right oh, man. Hi, Coco. Hey, is mom there? Can I talk to her? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kim, Maybe we should play a song. I'm, I'm live on the air with Mike, but I just got a phone call on my um, on, 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 on the cell phone here. And it seems like our, uh, Dechen is at our house. And he said the alarm is like blowing on. Yeah, and then I lost the signal. So if you can call our house, he's there. And he's like, what should I do? What should I do? Um, that's what he should do, but I wasn't able to tell him okay, because I'll, okay. I'm, I'm sort of live on the air with his telephone. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. Okay. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce Willie Winant. Willie Winant yeah, what's is the a, connection? Well, the connection is Willie uh, is somebody that Kim has known uh, throughout her years. Um, through various uh, mutual uh, friends and musicians, et cetera, and they've always known each other. Why don't you can tell the story better than I can? Well, I've known Kim since since high school, and um, and kind of remained friends and in contact all these years. And um, she was sort of the uh, actually one of the people that turned me on to to improvised music. 
she would turn me on to Miles Davis and Pharrell Saunders. She had a, this record collection. So it was like kind of through music and through school, I got to know her and, and we stayed in contact all these years. And that's sort of the connection. Yeah, we um, we did a gig, right? We did a gig at the gig, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Pico kind of here. Yeah. Kim's kind of like this yearly uh, improv thing that Thurston would do with Nels. I think it started at the uh, Christmas time at the Alligator Lounge, but this time um, when I showed up, the lounge yeah, was closed. closed. For the rat turds in the kitchen. Right. So then it moved to this place called the gig, and that was the first time I think that I'm we hooked up. Place with sofas. Yeah. So that was cool. And uh, I think that was the first time that I met you and, and that we played together. And uh, so that's that. Well, we got a track here. We got a track, yeah. Secret Chiefs 3. And what's it from? It's a, a record I did with a guitar player from this band I play with called Mr. Bungle. And um, it's sort of like a side project thing that the guitar player does with this violinist from Seattle named Avon Kang. And then pretty much the rest of the guys from Mr. Bungle. And uh, this one has sort of got a kind of Arabic, uh, kind of Iranian type of uh, vibe to it. He was like, in, so there's a lot of um, Persian instruments on this thing, on this thing that we all play. And he's got some guest Persian musicians as well. Oh, great. And, uh, and I've done, you know, this is like the second or third recording I've done with this group. And it's mostly instrumental music. What's it's all instrumental. Called? It's called Secret Chiefs 3. Secret Chiefs and, and the name it, of the tune? And I don't know the name of the tunes, just track five. I mean, they're all, the tunes are all in, in, in uh, Arabic names, so I, 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 don't, I can't really pronounce Yeah, them. I had that problem with the, there's that Rocky Erickson record with the dog, uh, his head ripping open, the dog jumping out, and it's got alien letters. Right. So I don't even know how you pronounce the thing. Right, so these are all <laughs> like called. weird titles and stuff like that. And this is basically, the music is by... Uh, uh, the guitar player Trace Bruance. It's, he, he kind of arranged it and and and, and kind of composed all the parts. Okay, great. Thanks.
from Pedro show December 26 um, we had some uh, Suka Chiefs there with uh, Siege Perilous 
you did, uh, Willie, you did a percussion? Playing percussion and drums. And um, come on closer, Thurs. Get on this mic. Get on that mic. Watch the thumbs. Secret Chiefs. And uh, Secret Chiefs, Siege Perilous. And before that, we had uh, Christian Wolf. Christian Wolf, yeah, Trio 3. Yeah. And that was a piece that Christian wrote for my trio. I, had a, I have a violin percussion uh, piano trio called the Abel Steinberg Wynet Trio. And that was like one of the movements from that piece that he wrote ah, for us. Great. And all recent stuff. All recent stuff. The Christian Wolf record just came out on John Zorn's label, that Sodic label. Oh, yeah, great. And it also has another piece on there called Burdocks, which is a piece that I put together with Christian, the composer, and Fred Frith playing guitar and cellist from the Kronos String Quartet and a bunch of people like that. And then the last Kronos. thing we do. Yeah. Burdocks is a really famous piece by Christian. It's been recorded by uh, yeah, a few different ensembles. We, did, we, we recorded it on the Goodbye 20th Century session. Right. We did it with Christian Wolf there, too. But there's a famous piece from the... Uh, Early 70s or 69 or something? 1971. It was written actually for the Merce Cunningham Dance Group, Dance right. Company. And it's one of these open-ended. It's a piece that they call sort of in the indeterminate style. And it was um, sort of open instrumentation can be played by a lot of different kinds of instrumentation groups. And uh, there's elements of improvisation within the piece. But it allows the musician to employ what he knows best as a musician personally. Right. It, it do, well, yeah, in a way, it's, it's, these guys were really interested in truly liberating the musician, in a way. And the also, composers. the composers, and also sort of liberating the whole notion of the composer and the musician on being on different planes and sort of equalizing the value of the composer with the musician so that everybody had sort of a kind An of equal role in a lot equal of ways. Equal role, a democratic role in the making of this music, composer and musician alike, and it allows the musician to employ what he plays. If I play a telephone, or if I play a telephone book, I am a musician, and I can use that as my, as, as my tool to play this piece. And it will be as valid as the, the, uh, the trained violinist. Right. As long and as you stick was, to the, as to long the, as you stick to the score, to as long as you read plan. the score and the game plan, and it's all about that, and that's so sort like of was, that was one of the most radical things, play, something like that. Yeah, it's one of the most radical things that these composers did in the face of the academy. Right, was, and it was to do because they were kind of supposed of to be servants, more task. Yeah, right. Actually, a lot of uh, the, for example, a lot of the 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 those the Zorn game pieces that came later, like Cobra, and yeah. pieces like that, were influenced by uh, these. Uh, Right. Kind of early experiments by people like Christian Wolff and so in a way that they, they were Brown. they were punk rock before punk rock and that's was sort of, that's one of, one of the enlightenments one of the discoveries that I really enjoyed in the when you run up rock. against walls I mean they were calling John Coltrane anti jazz right of course Towards it's okay if you like noise right. he was losing more and more listeners as he was doing more and more what he wanted to do right <laughs> which seems. Uh, uh, kind of the re reverse of the trend. People pander more and more as they go on, it seems, a lot. It's in popular music. Exactly. But what about this new Mick Jagger thing? I heard it's uh, I heard new it's Mick Jagger a, record. I heard it's uh, yeah. I heard some pretty good and stuff. And he rented uh, young people who didn't even know who he was to show up at the gig. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he rented some people. Yeah. Can you believe that? Yeah. They, uh, they call it music. We played some Stones last night. Yeah, I liked yeah. the uh, Satanic, Satanic yeah. I like that. That's fun. 
But that, that's strange how these tendencies in music, where people actually want to take it or, or try to take it somewhere, and these other cats are just looking for uh, handouts, uh, pandering to, 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 yeah. to cliché. I think they get. But you know what? I think that makes, in a way, a weird way, or maybe a natural way, uh, maybe a more uh, heavy environment for experiment, because the manure. It's so heaped up, maybe you're going to grow something really good. That's what happens in, in our culture. A lot of the interesting music just comes out of our, uh, you know, out of our junk heaps. Yeah. And, you know, it's like the phoenix rising out of the garbage. Yeah. I mean, you have people like Harry Parch and Lou Harrison and people in the in The, the guy from your town, Ives. Charles Ives. Ives from Danbury, Connecticut. But Harry Parch was interesting because he actually did create music out of a junkyard and the early percussion music of John Cage. Those K- instruments he made. Those instruments yeah. he made. And then if you look back at the early percussion music of John Cage and Lou Harrison from the late 30s, early 40s, was music that they created, um, serious sort of art music, but out of stuff that they found in junkyards, like automobile brake drums and truck spring coil, truck coils and old uh, clock coils out of old alarm clocks and tin can, coffee cans. They created all this great music out of stuff that we, we threw away. Yeah, he's going from his piano to his uh, industrial grooves. That's right. You're bogarting the mouthpiece. Thirsty. Okay, you like Sun Ra? Yeah, I, I like Sun Ra. Okay, we got. Uh, I talked to Sun Ra a few times before he uh, passed on. He was a very, was very interesting. Uh, he was an interesting sort of language philosopher. Sonny Blount. Herman Sonny Blount. Yeah. From and, Birmingham. Uh, from Birmingham. Did you see him before the stroke? I had seen him a few times before yeah. he started. Me and Pettibone saw him at Sweet Basil's, and we got in a conga line for somewhere over the rainbow. Raymond got in the conga line? Yeah. With me. That's a video. Behind <laughs> Sunny Raw, doing uh, the Judy Garland thing. It was bizarre. <laughs> It was very interesting. Here's some uh, Sun Ra. Friendly love.
That's that's definitely uh, one of the more beautiful ones. Watt from Pedro Show. Um, uh, Thurston Willie's got to say bye. I got to go. I got to I got to fly back to the East Coast where it's cold, frigid. I love it. I love it. I love this warm weather too. Do you like it? I like California. That postcard you saw. I married a California girl, so you know at some point maybe we'll relocate her. I didn't bring her out there. She went out there looking right, for uh, yeah, the looking, looking for some no wave. She, uh, you get, you gave me a picture yesterday of uh, Coco with the giant snowman. That's right. Yeah, we had some <laughs> heavy snow action out there. And then it we melted. also got, we also got, yeah, global warming kind of melted melted it down. Jay told me he used to ski all the time, and because of the ozone hole, West Mass is not the same. It's not the same. Not the same. Well, skiing out where we are is is kind of hardcore. I think people don't really look at it. I, I'm not a skier, so I don't think people look at it as, as, as great skiing. I think they look at, like, you know, Aspen, Colorado, and all that kind of stuff. That's good skiing. The drier skiing. But he was just telling me how things have changed since yeah. he was a boy. He's um, changed. He's changed, too. He's in India, India right now. Loves Amma. He's in India? Yeah. Um, I see Jay. Jay lives in the town next to me. What's he doing in India? That's right, Amherst. Uh, this lady, Amma, he digs a lot, and she's got an ashram there, and he's on it right now. Second time he's been there. So Thomas Pinchon wrote these liner notes to this last track I'm going to play. Oh, wow. There's a, there's a CD that came out in 1990. And, uh, 1990. and it was uh, a session that was set up by Forced Exposure magazine, Jimmy Johnson and Byron Coley, who was working there at the time. They wanted to pair me up with these two saxophone players, Don Dietrich and Jim Salter, who are in a trio called Barbeta Magus, who are the most hardcore industrial uh, just free jazz noise trio of all time, the, the, and the guitar player in that trio is Don Donald Miller. So they excised Donald Miller and they replaced him with me for a trio, and it's just called Jim Souter, Don Dietrich, Thurston Moore, and we did this one session called Barefoot in the Head. Right, I'm gonna play the track on the phrase. Yeah, ass you want me to tell you what Thomas Pinchon said? Yeah, you know Thomas Pinchon. Yeah, the he's writer. one of my favorite writers. One night, Johnson, Coley, and I 
We're sitting in the backyard with a bucket of fresh sangria and a few bong loads of some very righteous boo. I had brought out a box of my live Sonic Youth tapes and we were arguing about Ronaldo's tongue vectors in the third quadrant of society as a whole. Folk City, New York City, 12182. When one of T. Moore's downstrokes caught our attention, we ran the tape back and listened to the passage a few times. The subtly monstrous and mindless gush with which T. Moore hit the E chord made it obvious that his playing was not coming out of a complete spiritual void. This was a real revelation. It meant that he was capable of actually unclenching his brain and loosing demons of soul creativity. Because we hate to see anyone lack-eyed to jive-ass pop structure white man emotionalism, a plan was immediately spun for freeing Timor from the shackles of Peggy Lee-descended dog shit that were obviously choking off his true human force. Deciding which Hamid cudgels might best be wielded against these procedural chains was a lead pipe cinch. Who but Jim Souter and Don Dietrich? These two men are the freest, loudest, swingingest white motherfuckers to ever jaw cleave an industrial strength read. Their work with Borbeta Magus has long been a raucous fountain of tonal explosion and aesthetic purity, as well as a black gloved fist up the diz of all conservative conservative musical architects. If anyone could blow the lock off Timor's creational emo safe, Jim and Don were it. The rest was a snap. I had my agent get in touch with all the parties. She explained the points of our proposal in no uncertain terms. The results are presented here. Two free men meet a slave. Everyone goes home barefoot. Right fucking on. Thomas Pinchon, Somerville, Massachusetts, January 1990. Here's the first track off that session. All doors look alike. I love being here, Mike. I can't wait to come back and be with you guys, Brother Matt. This is a fantastic journey for us down here to San Pedro. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, my love to all the people listening to the show. Peace to you. Keep the faith. Right on. And uh, don't take no for an answer.
Watt from Pedro Show. Thanks very much, Thurston and Willie. Played there. Uh, Jim Sauter, Don Dietrich, Thurston Moore, Barefoot in the Head. Something from 1990, uh, the tune on the phrase Ask Backwards. Uh, Thurston made a mistake. He said it was all doors look alike. That's okay. Pilot air. You must be well used to it. I've uh, been listening to what? Brother Matt, we're at the end of the second hour here. Yeah, 45 so, seconds to go. Okay. And when we come up with the third hour, Brother Matt's going to do a spin cycle. We're going to do a special tune dedicated for Thirst, and then Brother Matt will go into spin cycle. And DJ Talia's threatening to come. She got back from Mexico yeah. last night, and so on. Maybe she'll have a, be here to do her uh, thing, too. It's kind of a trippy walk from Pedro show, but uh, good way to end of the year. Special Kwanzaa edition. Yeah, Kwanzaa, <laughs> Kwanzaaized. Uh, so, um, yeah, and the, there's a record that Thirst gave me about nautical safety. Maybe Brother Matt will mix it yeah, into his um, spin cycle there. So uh, the deja vus will visit once again upon us. It's a Watt from Pedro show. December 26, 2001, the third hour.
Pedro show. Uh, there's a little soft boys. Uh, Thurston was foaming about that song uh, when he first got here, and uh, you know, not one of my favorites. I like the Cannabis record, but that's for you, Thurston. Thanks uh, to you and Willie for coming by. Now we're uh, gonna go to Brother Matt Spin Cycle. Right on.
much, Brother Matt. Another installment spin cycle had to be a little shortened uh, because of the uh, lengthy spiel from special guest Thursday. DJ Tal, you made it. Welcome back. Hello. Over here on the thing, Tal. Um, she's going to have a, a little spin session next, too. First, we're going to play something from uh, Petra Hayden, a part of uh, me and Talia's band, uh, Little Pit. And uh, Bangin's going in the studio day after tomorrow, and we're going to do some Pit oh. interpretations. Uh, Nels Perkins and uh, oh. Oh my God. myself and Willie. <laughs> so uh, here's some Petra, and then you'll be hearing DJ Talia. What from Pedro Show.
you wrote to find out. Filled your tank with oval octane to prevent the pings and knocks. Checked your levels on your trade-in. Fit in what we will now know is forgotten and certain taking fast. As you gave it gas, thought of what could've and what others said should've was only their task. You live in their lives in a nicely furnished blast. Then furious to see you leave. Don't ask to describe the mass was taken off and you believe. Believe me, I know the feeling. To grieve and relieve yourself from what separates the fruit from the branches of turmoil trees. To feed and become food for thought. Your plot and every team rides on streamlined wing prime action tires. React to broken gravel. Contact gives traction to travel. And believe is what it is. As you whiz recklessly close to colossal corners. Peak stickered organ donors. Caution. Curvas peligrosas. To give treats to weary roads and women. Living lives of hope. You'll cope when you get there. But be aware of excruciating developments in this crash course. For cliffs with fists. Keep cribs to approaching vision, these old decaying and decomposing demigods devote to devour and denote dexterity, prevent prosperity, concealing themselves in serenity and sincerity. Offering you a view on a hill, bouncing boulders in your way, hoping that you stray away through adventures of honey and milk, the lost road of silk, the path that laughs last and still smurfs, smurfs, smurfs. and fall are your thoughts. Thoughts that are generated by external elements. 
like the waves are moved by soft winds and deep currents. Let your thoughts come and go freely. Don't cling to them. They're only fleeting and will change like the waves of the ocean. Through yoga you learn to travel light, relaxed mentally and physically, without extraneous baggage to wear you down. Whenever negative thoughts come to your mind, slowly empty them like a gently moving current of water, until only the good thoughts remain. Thus you develop the power of constructive thinking. This will soon become your pattern of thinking and acting positively giving you a new reserve of energy and a feeling of inner harmony. Now take a deep, long breath and stretch. Feel how completely relaxed you are. Whenever you are tired, tense or nervous, listen to this relaxation guide. Play it over until the quietening influence has become part of you. Discover the joy of new energy, inner harmony, and the mastery of everyday living. Cause every time 
and boys and girls aren't the only ones who know how to be happy. How to be happy. 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 No, sir. I know someone else. A helicopter. Helicopter. That's right. Right. A happy helicopter. I am a happy helicopter flying in the sky. So high, so high, so high up in the sky. I have a lot of little tricks I'd really love to try. Oh me, oh my, I'll try them while I fly. That's the way my engine goes. What a funny sound. And as everybody knows, my blades go round and round. I am a happy helicopter flying in the sky. So high, so high, so high up in the sky. I have a lot of little tricks I'd really love to try. Oh me, oh my, I'll try them while I fly. I go down and I go up. I go anywhere. I can start and I can stop. Away up in the air, I am a happy helicopter flying in the sky. So high, so high, so high up in the sky. I have a lot of little tricks I do. Maybe you'll come back.
Dr. Octagon, paramedic, focus on the east for priests. My anesthetics prescribe a certain fertilizer. Homegrown, computer-wise on the microphone. Utilizing tracks and murder by mimico. High typical for a SpaceX intercourse. You get lost and memorized to the enterprise. Skyder the captain, Mr. Spock keeps rapping. 4212, the ship moves at warp speed. Dynamic 7, navigation on the compass. Moving in crystals, operating light speed. I see the plan. They're growing. Analog through virtual reality, different colors of earth, rocks, and variety. Medical equal with helmets on the space people. Galactica 8, the verdict can't demonstrate. You'd be confused and disobeying planet rules. Biochemistry with stars for publicity. Megasonic base with data chips in your face. Nuclear lindrums that bang hard on dark tracks. Reacting reverb, conscious spots on your nerve. I'll take a break like James Brown to the bridge. Skeletons fly north on the next day. We can pass this cover with the oxalate gases return. Here's George Jetson. Back with intriguing positive minerals. You enter the center, searching radiant random with no condom. The rubbers will reach the testicles and affect them. By animal means, I'm in your spectrum. As I walk through the garden of orange tomatoes, I see blue flowers.
strikes anymore but I can't make it rain because it would only lightning again lightning never strikes anymore but I can't make it rain because it would only cause me pain Don't love me 
whether they be trawling or netting. If two boats or more were involved in an accident, it is mandatory for them to stand by to render assistance if necessary. They must also furnish their name and home port if requested. Remember the rules of the road are to prevent collision. Skipper, give way to starboard. There's another boat approaching from a dead ahead position. He should also give way to starboard, and you will pass port to port. Always indicate your moves as early as possible so the other skippers approaching you will know your intention. Watt from Pedro Show. Thank you. Here, let's put that in the background. Yeah. Oops, not Rocky. Skipper, I'll drop your anchor for you right while there. you check out your motor. There we go. Uh, we'll have that underneath a little bit. Uh, wrapping up the December 26, 2001 edition. Thank you much, Brother Matt. Get on your uh, bonus talk talk there. Got the full setup with the new edition. Big thanks to Thurston Willie Wyatt for coming by earlier. Uh, DJ Talia with her session. Brother Matt with the spin cycle. show. Robert Catherine came by here. God, I haven't seen you. Robert sold me a 10-speed, really got me back pedaling after 22 years. Your emergencies are you know, I got a car when I was 16. I thought I outgrew that. What a dumb fuck. <laughs> unexpected it's helped me more than anything. That's why I'm in better shape. In my 40s, and I am my 30s. Why you That's cool. The engine, uh, next show, probably New Year's. Yes, we're in there, it looks like. We'll probably start at 10.30 or something, so... The big uh, a white smoke gong on the player. Korean bell will be it's halfway through the gig. Yeah. And we'll have a full vertical pleasure point celebration. Yeah, and a full a uh, featured spin cycle. Cool. We had to be a little short. Thurston wanted to get in a special guest. It was a trippy show with uh, the lack of beats. Yeah, he had the cool spiels, though. Yeah, yeah just like whips into like automatic history. Is, away from beats a little bit. Yeah, he got the history down for uh, this, this uh, little chunk. Interesting, you know, he's from this little town in Connecticut by New York City, but close enough where he could be right on the pulse of that. A trip, huh? Thanks much, Thurs. Run up slowly on your anchor line. Yeah, we're there. So that's the end of another okay. Watt from Pedro show. Anchors aboard. See you next time. Sayonara. Keep Notice your powder dry.